Hi, this is Hannah Williams from Salary Transparent Street, and you're listening to the Let's Get Coffee podcast. Over a cup of joe, cup of tea, or whatever you please, I chat with people across a wide range of different industries and job titles about their career journeys and experiences. We get into salaries and how they fluctuated over time, what they've learned, and what pieces of advice they can share with you that were game changers to them. If you like what you hear, I would love if you would take a quick second to double check that you're subscribed so you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. And feel free to leave us a kind review if you're feeling generous. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Khalil, we are buddies, friends, and I wanted to have you on Let's Get Coffee because I think it's such a good opportunity for us to learn more about like your career path. I mean, it's been wild. You work for Her First 100K, you work with Tori Dunlap, but you have like a huge career of your own to back you up before that. And that definitely supports why you got the role you're in currently now. So let's start like all the way back, right? Like when you were a kid, what were you like? Did you have any idea of what you wanted to be when you were older? Well, first and foremost, thank you so much for having me on. This is wonderful. I'm a huge fan of Salary Transparent Street and of you, Hannah and James. Uh, you guys are doing God's work in helping, uh, you know, fight the fight, good fight. I loved this question. As a kid, when I think back, there were a couple versions of me, and I think we all, and I think a lot of the listeners live this kind of bifurcated existence where when we go to corporate, we're one person, and when we go home, we're another person. So. For sure. Little Khalil at school was the one who was always getting in quote unquote trouble, not for doing anything crazy, but just like I would do everyone else's work. I would talk and get up and constantly be socializing. And Mm -hmm. my teachers, my poor teachers, they just constantly were calling my mom like, can you just wrangle this kid in? It was early onset, undiagnosed ADHD Mm -hmm. at the time. For sure. So that was that was my version of Khalil. And I remember there was a lot of guilt. There was I always always felt like there was something wrong with me. Like, mm-hmm. why is no one else getting this much trouble? And mm-hmm. I would later learn that it's probably one of my biggest skills is my ability to be an introvert and extrovert simultaneously. But when I went home, I was the first kid on the playground. I was always waiting for my friends to get off school. I was the kid like collecting bugs and, you know, trying to bring them in the house. Like very <laughs> curious. I loved exploring. Yeah, I was the kid that always asked why. Like, I'd ask you Mm -hmm. a question and ask why like a hundred times, which, Mm -hmm. again, the poor adults around me who had just got off work, they're like, can you just give me 10 minutes? Can you stop? Can you go take a nap, please? (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I was always, again, I was always everyone's friend. I I just, you know, I just, I loved existing. I just loved observing. And I still hold a lot of that still to this day. And I loved that question because I didn't really like realize that and put that together until you asked it. Yeah. Isn't that funny how that works? I had the same thing. I did this amazing podcast um, called the Dreams and Drive podcast. And she asked me that question, like, what were you like as a kid? Like, did you ever have any idea of what you wanted to be? And I was like, wow, like no one's ever asked me that. And in <laughs> retrospect, it makes so much sense where totally. I am today. And it's funny because back then I had no clue where I was going or what I would do. And it's yeah. funny how it all works out like that. <laughs> yeah. And I wanted to answer that piece. Like I, so if you ask me what I wanted to do, I always mm-hmm. laugh. So I kind of had a two, I had two careers I wanted to do simultaneously. So I was obsessed with the the, the food network, like Emma Lagasse. Good network. Um, yeah, I was obsessed. <laughs> but then I also equally was obsessed with Animal Planet and the veterinarian mm. shows. So I told my mom, I was like, I want to help rescue animals and do that during the day. And then at night, mm-hmm. I want to go run a restaurant. I want to be a chef. That's and awesome. Like that's I, I, I held that for a while, I think, till I was <laughs> like 10 or 11. Then I realized 
I don't like either of those things. So I, I just really, I don't, do I have to work? So I was one of those kids that was like, my dad, he knew what he wanted to do since he was seven. My mom knew what mm-hmm. she wanted to do from a young age. I was like, Intimidating. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I had no clue, no clue. And I didn't know until recently. So I think there's so much grace to be given there that we're yeah. all just kind of figuring it out. I mean, we're on a floating rock. Like, like, like it's not that serious. Right, 100%. Love that. So when you went to high school and college, what did you like think about? What Did you go to school? What did you study? Or what was your path after that? Yeah, you know, I remember we start with like high school. I didn't really think too long term. I was a kid that got really bad grades in middle school and didn't really see or understand the importance of why. And it's not for lack of exposure or parenting. Like my mom was going Mm -hmm. to college and law school while I was going through middle school and high school. My dad actually never went to college. He started his business like right away at like 17. He was an architect. Mm -hmm. So in high school, it was really about like I went to I went from a public to private high school. So I went from public middle school nice. to private high school. And all I was worried mm-hmm. about was getting a 3.3 GPA because that's mm-hmm. what I needed to get to stay in that private school the first year because I was a kid Dang. coming from a middle school where I was averaging C's and D's. Like I, and I was like, what's wrong? That's passing. Like That's the mentality I had. And then I started to take that a lot more seriously. Um, so, you know, in high school, I really turned it on. I really became like this academic and stepped into really understanding like this system of school and like you just mm-hmm. kind of have to do it to check that box. For sure. And then I went to college and I actually made a really interesting proclamation to myself. So growing up, I was really bad at math. Like it was something oh. that I always struggled with. And so I chose the most math heavy degree in economics, but it wasn't on the science <laughs> side. It was on the business side. So it was calculus. Gotcha. It was really intense. And I was a finance double major. So I was like, if wow. I can do this, then I have to stop saying I'm bad at math. And I think that's mm-hmm. what I think back. That is just the spirit I've always had. I was a D1 athlete. I always was up mm-hmm. for a challenge. I mean, even just starting this business a year ago, I was like, mm-hmm. I'm up for this challenge. Like I'm in it for the long haul. And it's crazy. Even again, that question, it's like, it's been there the whole time. Right. That's so funny that I think you probably did what most people would do the opposite of is you were like, I'm not good at this. I'm going to go all in. I would have probably been like, I'm not good at this. I'm, I'm going to stay far away because <laughs> yeah, totally. I wanted to be an athletic trainer when I went to college. That was like my first degree and I changed my degree like five times and I was terrible at science <laughs> and I realized pretty quickly that you needed science to work in health <laughs> and yeah. so I, I gave that up completely. So props to you for going all in and being like, this is a challenge I can accept. I'm curious, what sport did you play? I was a four sport athlete in high school. So I did Holy moly. football and cross country at the same time. And then I did basketball and track. At and the then same time? Yeah. So my You're football crazy. I know, right? My football coach, he would basically let me not do um, like conditioning and then I would go mm-hmm. run cross country races. So my teammates are like, where's Khalil? And the coach would be like, he's running a eight <laughs> mile race. Five miles. Like, yeah. do you want to join him? Like he's he's good. <laughs> And then I quit everything my junior year. I got a private coach and I ran track year round. Like track was that nice. thing where I realized it's like the same thing in business where I had to hold myself accountable. There was no one I could blame. There was for no sure. one I could look to for when things got tough. Like I had to look inward and I had to figure mm-hmm. it out. And so I actually was really fortunate to get a scholarship to the University of Portland to run track. It's the second smallest D1 school. 
So we were competing against Oregon, Stanford, like huge schools. Big schools. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big schools. So it really taught me about time management because, as you know, I'm a very, I like to be busy. It's just something that Mm -hmm. I I enjoy. And that started a long time ago. (laughs) That's awesome. I also ran cross country and I'm like, how the heck did he do that at the same time? Because I remember running like during our practice and we would see the guys on the football team just like doing their conditioning. That was probably insane. But I think that's really interesting how, especially in track and if you're doing like a solo sport, you know, something where it's you don't have a team, it's not, you know, relay and such, you really do develop good coping skills, I think, and like independence and mental strength. Like I played tennis and I was a singles player and it's so difficult to be out there on your own and to just like bring yourself back from low points. So I, I, I'm sure that has helped you in your career. Yeah. What did you do when you graduated? What was your first job out of college and how much did you make? (laughs) My senior year was kind of crazy. I decided in that moment that I wasn't going to be an athlete full-time. I actually quit track and I had an excuse. Mm -hmm. My grandmother was actually terminally ill. And so Mm -hmm. it was a moment where I was like, life is more important than any goal out there. So I actually quit track. And what was beautiful about that was my school let me keep my scholarship. I just wanted to live one year as a college student without having seven days a week practice at six in the morning. I just wanted to, to live. So as I took that time off, I actually start, you know, at, at the time in college, I actually had a screen printing business. I used to cyanotype oh. t-shirts in my dorm room. And that process is using natural sunlight to develop film onto clothing. So cool. that was like my business. Like I used to sell t-shirts out of my dorm room. So from there, I went to a company called Portland Gear and I went to a company called ASRV and I was asking for internships. I was asking for, you know, my first job and I actually landed a job with ASRV. They were a company that's still around today. They're huge. Like they're Gymshark's biggest competitor. Oh, wow. And I was one of their, fir- I was their first hire um, and that's I made awesome. 45000 a year. I was what they called a marketing maestro, which basically just meant they could tell me what to do and tell me how long to work. For sure. And the biggest issue I had in that role was the CEO wanted me to have his energy making 45000 a year. And it's not going to happen, bub. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. And I remember I left that job in tears. I quit. Like, I remember I gave it my all. Like, I was like, dude, I'm working on weekends. I'm like running photo shoots. I'm doing a lot. Like, I did so much from design conception to photo shoots to marketing. I mean, you name it, I did it. You know how it is in our business. Yeah, like, maestro, for sure. <laughs> like, straight up maestro. So, That was my first job, which I'm so thankful for because that was the moment it kind of started the habit of like, I'm not taking shit from anyone. I also had a similar experience, but I was only at my first job out of college for two months. That was as long as I lasted. (laughs) I love it. Good for you. (laughs) I I hated it, but I did give it my all. And I also left in tears. Like I was making $40,000 a year. I feel like Mm. the 40 to 50K range is so – that's what I hear most commonly for people's first jobs out of college, which is insane to me because I'm like, that is not much to live off of in high cost of living cities nowadays. And I hope that that has increased over time. (laughs) And it was crazy because, yeah, from that moment, I actually ended up quitting and I opened a retail store with two of my friends. Yeah, I was going to ask, what do you do next? Yeah, Yeah, tell me about it. I opened a retail store and in that retail store, I was only making $800 a month. Oh, gosh. (laughs) And so I I But were you happier? Way happier. And it was really cool to be able to run my own thing. But I realized very quickly that $800 a month is not sustainable. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up actually having this moment where I had to take several steps back. And as I think about it, like, I don't know, I always felt like there was this guiding hand behind me because some of the decisions and the logic that I came to, I didn't have experience to draw on. 
Like mm-hmm. I just was moving with my intuition. My intuition yeah. said, you know, Khalil, I know you want this really bad, but it's actually time to take a step back. I went and got like this customer service job at Nike, but I was mm. working at Nike World headquarters in Beaverton all of a sudden. And that's nice. the moment my career changed forever. That is awesome. I love hearing about intuition and such. I'm kind of a I'm a juju girl and I strongly believe in intuition and the same thing has happened for me. Like I I think about decisions I've also made like I quit that job on a prayer, you know, like yeah. I was hoping everything would work out, fingers crossed, like to the nines, but really like you kind of just know when your time is run at a certain spot or we all know what's best for us, even if that means going in a direction that is completely scary and like you have no idea what will happen next. Sometimes it just feels right, even if it's terrifying. And yeah. I'm so happy that that worked out for you. And obviously it did. So Nike, you're in Beaverton, Oregon. You're you're rubbing shoulders, man. You're in big headquarters. This is where the story gets good. Um, Let's go. So I went from making 45000 mm-hmm. to 800 a month, you do the math, to making 23000 at Nike. I made $500 a week. And what? Nike pays nothing because they know, right, like there's 10,000 people waiting for your job. There's no such thing that. as negotiating salary at Nike. You have a pay band and you stay in the pay band. And there no, there's unless you're an executive who – right? Know someone up in the C-suite, you're not moving. What was wonderful about what was wonderful about Nike is I was actually the highest escalation. So whenever like LeBron or like a sports team had a delivery problem, like their jerseys Mm -hmm. didn't show up or equipment didn't show up, I was the person communicating with the CEO's office like, hey, like we got to fix this. Mm -hmm. And what that led to was a lot of visibility. And I actually Mm -hmm. ended up doing two jobs for the price of 22,000 a year. So Three days a week, Khalil. I would do this customer. <laughs> this yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I know, but this is where it gets good, though. This is where okay. Khalil unlocks. Like three days a week, <laughs> I was waiting. doing. <laughs> three days a week, I was doing this job, and I had a stretch assignment with a startup called Topbox, and it was a speech mm-hmm. analytics company. And I basically propped up CX customer experience at Nike with my best friend now, Chris Stark, who was a director at the time at Nike, and he basically poached me and was like, "I need to figure out a way to get you out of CS and into reporting." So I was reporting to. 500 of the biggest stakeholders at Nike every two weeks on all the conversational data happening in Nike. And what that allowed me to do in this moment, that self that self started, right? Khalil at the store, Khalil, you know, like what I ended up doing was going to the CEO of the startup and I said, I started a reporting structure here at Nike. Pay me $110,000. I'll come do that and start that at your company. Amazing. And he's like, okay. And I was like, give me equity too. And he said, okay. <laughs> and equity. <laughs> and it was this moment where I was like, I didn't think I would get that. It was yeah. like he he didn't even think. He was like, sure, absolutely. And yeah. then I realized like if we don't ask, we don't receive. People don't For know sure. what we want, right? And so I went from making 22000 to 110000 like a Holy snap of moly. a finger. And between that space, I didn't really get into the details, but I actually left Nike. I went to a banking job for like four mm-hmm. months before I could like really figure all that out because, yeah. you know, I, I didn't think I deserved it. Um, and then it's I got the sick hardest and tired. part. Yeah, yeah. That, that mental like asking is the – most difficult part. You're so scared yeah. of what they're going to say. But if you right. don't ask, you won't get it, just like you said. Yeah. You know what was even more scary was at the bank, they were having me physically file papers. I still have the video on my phone. I still haven't posted it, but I was literally filing papers. And I was like, you know, Topbox would be a great change up from this. Like, I really enjoyed that. Let me just go ask, what do I have to lose? And sometimes sure. you have to get there. Um, and so anyone who's in that mode, like, go ask tomorrow. Like, just please do me a favor and go ask because. You don't know what that answer is going to be. And you also don't know like what that's going to unlock for you. So 
from that moment forward, Topbox was a wonderful experience. Um, you know, I ended up, the company ended up getting acquired. So I got a nice payout. Nice. I got to go to another company that was bigger. It was really toxic. And so I actually ended up leaving oh, no. that startup for another startup. That startup ended up laying everyone off. Mm-hmm. And then I was three weeks before my wedding last September. And I was sitting there like, okay, I'm laid off. I started this TikTok. I have this mm-hmm. audience. Mm-hmm. But I have all these skills before the age of 26, 27. For sure. Let me go talk to more people. So take that mm-hmm. one instance of asking for more. And I did that times four. And everyone said it. yes. And all of a sudden, I have a business now. Oh, my gosh. So oh, I love it. I, I'm just – I got goosebumps. This is so cool. So you had like – four different jobs like after that what were you doing per se like consultant work like what were you helping people with yeah so with at top box coros i was what they called a senior business value engineer so i worked with the so i helped start doordash's like non-contactless delivery i did the t-mobile sprint Stop, that's m- wild. migration it was all <laughs> that's data. such was, a good feature by the way <laughs> yeah i it, hate human interaction <laughs> <laughs> no i was just analyzing conversational data for big corporations. And it sounds really spy but really at the end of the day, it's just trying to figure out what friction points exist in the business for sure, and how we solve them. And so now that I kind of was able to go to all these C-suites, that mm-hmm. was, and I left this out, that was the huge unlock for me was all these opportunities mm-hmm. put me in a C-suite and I realized no one knew what they were doing. Most C-suites oh have God, no clue what they're doing. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Thank you. I've been like screaming that from the rooftops. I'm like, these guys don't know what they're doing. They're twiddling mm-hmm. their thumbs. Like I, in my yeah. experience, in my career, it was exactly like that. And it's so frustrating because you're usually at the bottom of the to- totem pole making the least amount of money. But I felt like those people, including myself, when I was in those positions, had the most energy and the most like impact in the companies, but we're making pennies and like, oh, yeah. I just hate it. <laughs> I'll never forget. We won't name names, but the the CEO of T-Mobile was hanging on my every word at 25 on what to do with the Sprint migration. And that that (sighs) moment I'll never forget because I had him sitting next to me and I had the CFO sitting on the other side. So imagine how Mm -hmm. horrified I am. And I'm presenting data to a C-suite. And I'm in there like, like, we have no idea what's going on. Like, thank you so much. I'm Mm -hmm. like, what am I doing here? Like, I can do this on my own. And it's right. not in the same business, but like I just it built that confidence for me. And so, yeah, today I am the CPO of Her First Hundred K. I'm an independent contracted CPO, so it's a little bit different. So it does run through okay. my business still. And then I I have an app that I'm building with a company called One in One. I'm an equity owner there. We're building basically One in One is is Noom for habit forming. So we have a habit forming mm-hmm. app coming out. And then Unstucked, I'm the host of the Unstuck podcast and KBD and Associates. So I run like an agency where I do web dev. I do pretty much everything. Like I'm your Swiss Army knife. You have problems in your business, I fix them. You know, <laughs> and love. that's that's essentially what I do today. And that's that's going back to little Khalil. I just love mm-hmm. experiencing different things. And I love having the ability to wake up and not do the like, I don't know what I'm going to do. But like, I almost know exactly what I'm going to do, um, yeah. which is the part that makes me feel really good. How much does your salary look like now? I'm sure, I mean, the best way to make money in lump sums, I would say, is to have yeah. multiple sources of income. And I'm sure that's true here. <laughs> yeah, with all the sources of income I have, I make about two, I make north of 230000 a year. Love it. Which now, as I think about it, is nothing. Isn't that funny? <laughs> right? I yeah. know. It's, it's. I get what you mean. Like, I, I think back like, Five years ago, Khalil would have been like, what? Like, we made it. This is the Mecca. I got here and I was yeah. like, oh, this is just a start. Like, this is going to be <laughs> yeah. fun. You know? Right? Um, so 
again, I think the salary transparency is really important because when I was coming up, no one spoke about salaries. You know, Tori was the really the only person that Mm -hmm. I talked to about salaries at all. And we used to get Great off our jobs. To talk to you about right? that. <laughs> she she is she was a huge inspiration of mine because she would get off work and go coach women on how to improve their finances. I'd get off work and I'd go talk to business owners and figure out how I could fix their businesses. You yeah. know, and so the work you're doing is so needed and it's so important because I think there are so many Gen Zers just in a black box. They're in this yeah. system that's kind of old and doesn't work anymore, and they're confused. Mm-hmm. They're like, "Is this really it?" And it's not. That's yeah. the great answer. It's not. I love what you said about like feeling like you didn't know what you were doing in those positions, but really like I wish more people, especially Gen Z, understood that your experiences are everything and your age is nothing. Like putting yourself out there, meeting people, asking questions, putting yourself in rooms where you feel like you don't belong is the best way to get yeah. ahead and to learn. If you're in this comfort zone where you feel like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be, you're not where you're supposed to be for actual growth. Like you have to be uncomfortable. And I'm I'm <laughs> I'm just happy to talk to someone who really like exemplifies what that looks like. And yeah. especially little Khalil <laughs> yeah. grew up to be this huge entrepreneur. It's yeah. it's funny how in retrospect that works out. Are you happy with where you are? Do you think little Khalil would be proud? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I got married last year. I I married, you know, the best woman on earth. Um, With an awesome podcast voice. Yes, she's the intro of my podcast. um, (laughs) Love that. Just every time just gives me butterflies. I love it. Um, Yeah, I'm I'm really happy. I realize how fortunate I am to be able to work from home, to have time freedom. Like, I'm Mm -hmm. debt free. Like, I there's just so many, like, the list just goes on. I travel a lot. Like, it's, it's, everything's great. Obviously there's things I'd love to improve. Like I definitely work anywhere. The The weeks can fluctuate from 30 to 75 hours. Like there's a huge range, that. but what's mm-hmm. great is I get to turn that on. I feel like I, I call it my mad scientist hours and I'm allowed to do that <laughs> where I work a lot. Like I can turn that mm-hmm. on, but I also can ratchet it off. And I think that's the problem with corporate, corporate America is they ratchet it all the way up and then they give mm-hmm. you no control of that lever, right? Yeah. All the CEOs saying, come back to the office, return to the mm-hmm. office. That's getting rid of your ability to balance your day. And I think Absolutely. that's a huge corporate error that corporate America is making right now. I agree. I hate the nine to five. I'm I'm loving this the the feedback we're seeing from this four day work week study, and I'm really hoping yeah. that more companies implement it because just based on like me working for myself, I, I totally support what you're saying. It's crazy how when you kind of make your own hours and you listen to your body and you're like, okay, I can bang out work for the next like two to three hours, but then I'm done. You know, I yeah. hate the idea of measuring days as like you have to put in eight hours today and that's your nine to five. I tell mm-hmm. Holly, my executive. Assistant, I'm like, I'm not counting your hours. I'm not checking if you're active on Slack. How I look at it is, are you doing the work that we're supposed to get done today or this week? As long as that's getting done, I don't care if you work less than 40 hours. You know, <laughs> like yeah. I just need the work done. And I think we need to be more flexible with workers to be able to just work when they work best instead of yeah. fitting them in this box. It's terrible. You know, this is my call to all the entrepreneurs listening is we all look to change and we all want change. We are a change. So as we yep. build our businesses, we need to adopt the four day work week. Yes. We need to give people elongated paid maternity leave. You know, mm-hmm. we need to pay fair salaries. We need to be transparent with those salaries. I, I love one of the initiatives HFK, you know, we put our compensation on our job descriptions. You know, we tell you right off the bat, like here it is. 
And that's something that I always remember. I was really good at that game. And I don't think, and just to seed a little bit of tip here, (laughs) if you are still in corporate America, job hopping is the best thing you can do. I remember when I was job hopping, I would always double my salary all the way up until about 180,000. I would just double it. And Mm -hmm. most times I would land pretty close to that doubled salary. So you can mm-hmm. use that mechanism against the patriarchy. So I just wanted to drop that down. Drop For that down. sure. <laughs> down with the patriarchy. I love it. Actually, <laughs> yeah. that kind of leads into a great segue with, I'm curious, Tori Dunlap, you work with her first 100K. She is a huge figure, like an icon, especially in women's personal finance, really a trailblazer and very intimidating because she's so powerful and amazing. How did you approach Tori? I I know you guys were friends as well beforehand, and I'm sure that that helped. Do you have any tips that you would share on how you approach Tori to get this role, you know, and overcoming imposter syndrome and just going for it? What worked for you? What did you say? There's there's more of a strategy here. And so and it's not one that's like intentional. It's just kind of how I run things. Mm -hmm. So in 2017, I helped whiteboard HFK. Like I sat down with Tori. Huge. So I reached out to her via Instagram. So we went to the same college, mm-hmm. but we didn't know mm-hmm. each other until mm-hmm. after college. So I re- saw her starting her platform and I reached out. I said, hey, I just want to help you. And at the time, yeah. it was like updating graphics on her websites. Every time she got a new press feature, it was sitting on the phone for hours and hours and whiteboarding products. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, one and one was there and I was doing the same thing. I was making logos. I was making products and kind of years went on. We did our thing. I wasn't involved and that layoff happened mm-hmm. and Tori came to my wedding and right away. We started talking and I said, Yay, you know, I really love this work that I'm doing and I love what you're doing. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really even ask for a position or anything. I just told her all mm-hmm. the things I was doing. And she was like, I'll call you on Monday. And yeah. so all of a sudden, we were in this conversation. She's like, You know, I need someone I can trust, blah, blah, blah. So at, at the end of the day, focus on developing relationships that last because relationships that last and are healthy are going to yield fruit for you. It's just mm-hmm. going to happen, whether that's a friend that's a really good listener, whether that's a friend who's a mega badass in the business world. Like, <laughs> you just never know where these relationships run. So I think where I see mm-hmm. a lot of my mentees go wrong is they focus on, like, I'm going to come to Hannah because she has this big successful business and I want to ask her for something mm-hmm. instead of just approaching you as a person and growing a relationship with you and for seeing sure. where that goes organically. That's where the power lies because, like, you know this, like, rich people – protect our time. And yeah, we're not going to just huge. time's huge, right? So if you can just prove that like, you're just a normal person that makes the other person feel good, like weird, mm-hmm. if we're just good people, good things happen <laughs> to us. Like that's, that's what so I would funny. say to people. I love that piece of advice and I would echo it. Definitely. I get emails, DMs every single day from people saying, how can I help? You know, how to, how can I get involved? And I mean, I'll just be honest, like 99% of them I don't respond to just because I get so many that the ones that really catch my eye are the ones that stand out and they all kind of sound the same. It's always, you know, I yeah. want to be involved because I want to be on your show or I want yeah. to, you know, and it's like, it's not about you. It's about STS. What do you, what makes STS special to you? Why do you want to be involved? How can you help? Don't just ask if I need help. Give me an idea. Tell yeah. me, well, don't give me an idea, you know, close guard your, <laughs> your abilities, right. but like, show me that you kind of have an idea of what you want to do with STS. Don't make me guess because right. I don't have time to guess. I don't have yeah. I don't have the time. <laughs> it's so true. Absolutely. For sure. So Khalil, to close up, 
anything that you would share with the audience listening about things that you think have been integral to success in your career or just gems of wisdom that you have that you think you would like to share with anyone who might be stuck with leaving a corporate job or making the ask, just give us words of wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So I started unstuck and it, the reason why it's the same reason why I chose that degree when it was hard. It's the same reason I you know, chose to leave those businesses when it was hard was I look a challenge in the face and I go after it. I don't let it fester. And I think that's mm-hmm. the, that's the biggest reason I started the unstuck platform is that I want to help people run toward their challenges and show them that there isn't anything there standing in their way, but themselves. For and sure. so to that, I would just say, right, like get out of your own way. And, and the way you do that is you just get started for two minutes. Make yeah. sure that you're journaling. Make sure you're, you know, really checking in with yourself. And lastly, mm-hmm. the biggest unlock that I've had is like, imagine yourself when you're at the ocean, when you're staring mm-hmm. at the ocean. Um, I'm reading a fabulous book by Rick Rubin, and he put it wonderfully. He said, we're our, the ocean is like the best mirror we have past an actual mirror. Like we're just meant to be at peace and observe. And so if that is not what any situation is bringing you that level of peace, it's time to start exploring different alternatives. And I know Mm -hmm. you can do it. And if you get stuck, you know where Hannah and I are. For sure. Yeah. So perfect segue, Khalil. Where can people find you? Tell us about your podcast and your platform. Yeah. The Unstuck podcast is available on all platforms that you listen to. You can also go to unstuck.com, take our free unstuck quiz that really helps you orient in terms of where you're stuck in your life and how you can move forward. Uh, but just like Hannah, like we live on all the social platforms. I love reading your messages. I love just giving <laughs> advice. Like we're, my staff and I are always on there ready to help. Um, so definitely go give our show a listen and don't be shy and reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Khalil. Thanks for your time and for oh, coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Hannah. You're such a rock star. Thank you. <laughs> no, you. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the Let's Get Coffee podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to check the show notes for helpful information and links we mentioned on the show. And if you need more career resources, you can find plenty on our website. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll catch you next week with another episode. Thanks. Bye.